good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for listening to the ministry of Let the Bible Speak. Today you're listening to the second of a two-part message on the subject of anxiety. If you'd like to hear the full message, please get in touch at malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We trust the Lord will bless His Word to your heart. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6, and the Word of God says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to look at the response to anxiety that we have here in this portion of God's Word. Because in life's hard times, in life's difficulties, anxiety is often the reaction that is provoked. And thus we find ourselves suffering from anxiety at various times in our lives. And I would say that it's something that almost all of us, if not all of us at some point, have experienced. So let's examine the command together. And the first thing I want to do is just note the command as it is expressed. And it is in those first four words, be careful for nothing. Or if you like, in simple modern English, be anxious for nothing. The sin, please listen, the sin of anxiety does not lie in the immediate response to the troubles of life, but it lies when we do not deal with it as we ought. Anxiety that is tolerated is sin. Tolerated anxiety is sin. This is a command. Be careful for nothing. And if you, with a contented spirit, allow yourself to live in anxiety, you are guilty of sin under the word of God. So the command is expressed. But in the second place, the command is expanded. It's expanded. And that's in verse number 6 again of Philippians chapter 4. Be careful for nothing but. And is this, is this but and the, the clauses that follow after the but that expands upon this command. In everything be not careful but prayerful. The command is to let your requests be made known unto God. And the language of 1 Peter chapter 5 is to, is to cast all your cares. Same word used. It's to cast all your cares upon him. Now, first of all, note, when you consider this response of prayer, please note the mode of prayer. We are told in verse number 6 that we are to let our requests be made known unto God. The mode of prayer is a presenting of requests unto God. This word request is used again in various ways in the New Testament. It's used. Pilate used the word in, in Luke chapter 23. In Luke 23, he refers to the sentence of the Lord and says that it should be as they required. Same word. Same word. The people wanted the Lord's death. So they requested what they wanted. The request was a matter of their desires. It's used over in 1 John chapter 5 regarding the word petitions. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Same word, requests, petitions, things that are required. 
This is very important. Because Paul tells us the response to anxiety is to present particular petitions before God. To bring specific requests. To cast our cares upon the Lord. That's a challenge to God's people because in 1 Peter 5, when we're told to cast our cares upon the Lord, it has the sense of throwing them away. Throwing them on to the Lord. The burdens that we suffer, let us throw them on to the Lord. But what happens in God's people's experiences is this. And I've met with this in, in pastoral counseling. that They throw them on to the Lord and then they feel guilty because they've got to throw them again. And they say, I mustn't have thrown it properly the first time. Well, the sense is, is very, very simple. Whenever the care comes, throw it. Yeah, it may be like a boomerang. You know what a boomerang is? Boys and girls, you know boomerangs? I remember learning a song when I was a, a young boy. My boomerang won't come back. He kept throwing it, I kept throwing away. The boomerang's meant to come back. Well, sometimes our cares are like that. We, we throw them away, but they keep coming back and hitting us in the head again. So what should you do? Get the boomerang and throw it away again. That's the point here. It's a continual practice. And it may well be something that you've got to keep on fighting with. You've got to keep on throwing away those boomerangs of those cares. Keep presenting those petitions and requests unto God. It is particular and specific praying. If that's the mode, I want to note the manner of our praying because there are three additional words used. I note there are four terms in total regarding prayer in this verse. You have the word prayer. The word prayer is a very general word. It's used for offering up our desires and wishes, but particularly it is used with regards to things directed towards God. So the idea of requests, that can be made to man, but the idea of prayers, these are, these are a God-word focus. Our prayers must be God-centered. It seems almost too obvious to state, but our prayers are, be, are to be directed to God. I think that's part of the problem sometimes. God's people get to prayer as they think. And they understand that they are not to be anxious, but prayerful. And they, they seek to get into prayer. But what happens in prayer is that they allow their anxieties and their thoughts to dominate the prayer. So what happens in prayer is not presenting petitions to God. It is just stewing over our troubles in ourselves. So when you get to prayer, you must labor and fight to remember Hebrews chapter 11 that God is and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So you've got to do all you can in your power by God's grace to continually fight to say, I am not praying to myself here, but I'm bringing these prayers unto God, the almighty God. The one who made heaven and earth. That's who you're approaching with your cares. The word supplication is also used. This is not redundant speech. This is not like your English teacher marking your essay and said, you keep using the same terms and scoring these out. Now, the Apostle Paul is, is expanding upon the terms here. And the idea of supplication has a sense of urgency. A sense of need, of, of, of fervency in our prayers. It conveys our utter inadequacy 
and our utter dependence upon God. Prayers that don't only come from the lips, but come from our hearts burdened with our need of God. The last phrase is with thanksgiving. We sang the opening hymn, and I prayed as I prayed, because this is upon my very soul. What better remedy is there for care and anxiety and thanksgiving? Because, again, I've, I've mentioned to you a number of times now, what happens in anxiety is that our thought life becomes dominated by one thing. And that becomes such a large thing in our mind that we can't see anything else. And so the apostle tells us here, you've got to get through that to see all the things you have to be thankful for. Because whatever happens in your life, if you're a child of God, you have Christ, and with Christ you have everything. And so there is this responsibility to be thankful, to thank God for his past mercies, to thank God for his present mercies, to thank God for his temporal blessings and for the spiritual blessings we enjoy, to thank God above all for his everlasting mercy. He has saved me. He sent his son to die for me. I'm forgiven. I'm an heir of an everlasting kingdom. None of that can be taken away. Whatever trouble I may have, whatever may cause my anxiety, a runaway wife, a lost job, a health diagnosis, none of those things can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus your Lord. And therefore, when this trouble dominates your mind, you've got to do all you can to throw it away that you will remember those things you have to be thankful for. This is not pietism. This is biblical pastoral counsel under the inspiration of the Spirit of God to pray to God and do so with thankfulness. That's the manner of your praying. Which leads in the third place under this expansion of the command to the matters for your praying. Christians should pray about everything, casting all your care upon him in everything by prayer and supplication. If anything is too big enough, if anything sorry, is big enough to be a worry to you, regardless of how small it may look in the eyes of others, it's big enough to bring to God. You know, sometimes, again, sometimes as God's people, we're, we're not very good at this. Someone may come to us and bring a particular concern they have in their soul, and we trivialize it. We dismiss it. Pass it off as some small thing. Why would you be worried about that? You know, North Korea's out there. Why would you be worried about such a small thing as you're worried about in your life? The Bible says that we are to bring everything to God in prayer. Others may think your anxieties are caused by small things. Some of you, you don't care about spiders and mice and that sort of thing. Others, you jump up on the table and you run a mile. Some of you, some of you will face life's troubles by God's grace, you'll respond with bravado and you'll respond with courage. Others will car in a corner. We all respond to things differently. 
So the command is general, the command is exclusive to all of us that we all present everything to God in prayer. Do not listen to the devil's lie. The devil says to you, God's got bigger things to worry about than your wee troubles. Isn't that what's said to your soul? Why are you bringing that to God in prayer? Why are you wasting your life? Why are you wasting God's time with that? That is blasphemous. And make sure you resist the devil that he would flee from you. He is the God who knows the sparrows when they fall. He counts the numbers of hair upon our heads. He is concerned with the little things as well as the big things. That is the God of the Bible. And therefore, when we see this issue of the matters for our prayer, our God told us to pray for our daily bread. Bread. Every day, pray for our daily bread. God is pleased to hear us when we pray for the things that are mundane to the eyes of others. And everything. Pray. Which leads to the third thing as we close. And that is the command as it is encouraged. So it's expressed, be careful for nothing. It's expanded, in everything pray. And then it's encouraged, verse number 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is the pattern of God that when he gives a command, he gives an incentive to obey the command. Now, we may expect that the anxious one praying to God, that God would answer by delivering the person from the cause of the anxiety. I want to ask that question. Does this text assure us that when we are anxious and pray, that we will be automatically delivered from what we are suffering from? Is that what the text says? Will God deliver us out of the particularly trying circumstance? Well, let's consider one example as we answer that question. And that is the Apostle Paul himself. It is Paul here who gives this instruction. And in giving the instruction, I believe he practiced what he preached. Where is Paul when he writes these words? He is chained to a Roman soldier. He remained chained to a Roman soldier as he wrote and sent this letter. He was uncertain as to whether or not he would be executed. And he faced all of these things because of his service to Christ. He was not a malefactor. He was a faithful witness for Christ. And yet, at this time, his circumstances did not change. Did God not answer his prayers? So what happens then? What happens when we pray over our cares? What's the point of it all if nothing changes? Well, there is a massive change implied in these words. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The circumstances may not change, but God promises the blessing of the peace of God granted from his gracious hand. It was true of Paul. That's why Paul and Silas could sing in the prison. It was true of our Savior. He lived with perfect peace. And it can be a reality for any child of God. So what does it mean? 
Well, what's the identity of this blessing? What is meant by this phrase, the peace of God? It is different from peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1, Wherefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That conveys the idea that once we were at war with God. If you are not a believer in Christ today, you are not neutral. It's not like Switzerland in World War II. Neither for the Allies or, uh, or for the Axis. Uh, they were neutral, so they thought. You can't have that with God. If you are not for God, you're against God. And those who are not trusting in Christ, they're at enmity with God. They're enemies of God. And God, His wrath abides upon them. But in the gospel, through the blood of the cross, we are reconciled to God and we have peace with God. Once we were at war, but now we are reconciled. Once we were his enemies and now we are his sons and his friends. Peace with God. That's not what's involved here. But the two are absolutely connected. I want to say that very clearly now. You will not know the peace of God until you know peace with God. I want to make that as clear as I can. You will never know the peace of God until you know peace with God. And I say that because the peace of God is part of the fruit of the Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace. And the Spirit of God produces His fruit in those He indwells, and the Spirit indwells those who are saved, and only those who are saved. So the Spirit of God produces this peace in our souls, and He produces it in those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. They have peace with God, and therefore they have the Spirit indwelling them who produces and gives this peace of God. Now, what is it then? Well, we see in verse number 10 that Paul describes God as the God of peace. You see that in verse number 10? He is the God of peace who shall be with you. We know that God gives peace. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, by all means. He is the God who gives peace. But you've got to turn, please, to, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John 14 is Philippians chapter 4 in a mirror. John 14 and verse number 27. The words of Christ... Again, I must remind you of the context here. John 14 through 16 is the upper room discourse. Our Lord is, is teaching and instructing the disciples regarding things that are to come as he will leave them. The promise of the comforter, all of these things. But in that situation, he says to them, verse number 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have, of course, the opening verse of that chapter, let not your heart be troubled. A troubled heart, a fearful heart. In such a situation, the blessed Savior promises to give them peace. Which implies to my mind that this peace that is promised is the opposite of a troubled and a fearful and an anxious soul. It is the opposite. 
So what is this peace of God? How is God the God of peace? He's the God of love. He's the God of holiness. But how is he the God of peace? Well, the word for peace that's used here is just the opposite word for war and turmoil. The Hebrew word you'll know is the word shalom. Carries the idea of calmness and tranquility. What is it that causes us to be anxious? You ever thought of that? Psychologically, why do we respond with anxiety? Well, in simple terms, we do so because we do not see the future. You know, there, there may be something happens in your experience regarding illness or, or marriage or, or some like thing. And the reason you're anxious is because what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next? Or if that's not it, will I be able to handle tomorrow? And that's the reason whereby we respond with anxiety. The unknown future or our unknown response to the future. And therefore we are anxious. We are troubled and we are fearful. God is never anxious about the future. There is nothing in the future that God does not know. And there's nothing in the future that God cannot not handle. Pardon the double negative. Everything in the future is in God's sovereign control. Therefore, God knows an absence of anxiety. He is the God of peace. He is the God of supreme tranquility. The peace is pure and absolute calmness. Completely unmingled with anxiety, alarm, disquiet, or commotion. If you like, nothing can ever startle or terrify God. Nothing can cause God to be anxious. He knows absolute peace. He is the God of peace. God never frets with worry or with unfulfilled needs. He is the God of peace. So what is Paul teaching here in Philippians chapter 4? What is Christ teaching in John chapter 14 when he promises to give peace? Well, simply, that if and when anxieties come upon our way, we are to respond by praying, as we've described, in the knowledge that God will give the one who prays a tranquility and a calmness, the calmness which God alone supremely possesses. He is peace. And he gives his peace to his praying children. To put it another way, if we pray over our cares, God conforms us to his own likeness. Now, we will never know it the way God knows it. But we have a promise that God will give us the quietness of his peace in our experience, when we respond appropriately to our cares. Does not God make us like him in his holiness, in his justice, in his love? Why not in his peace? He is willing to conform us to his likeness in this area of peace. 
And I have met people. And I'm sure you have met people. And some of you are those people. And when you examine your lives, you would think, if I was in your situation, I'd be all over the place. I'd be in a corner somewhere. But they will say to you, you know, Pastor, you will never believe the peace I know at this time. I can't explain it. Funny that. It surpasses all understanding. It is unexplainable how the believer, when they come into some trial that provokes great anxiety, they know nothing but peace. Why is that so? We think, well, it's because God gives them his peace. God actually does what he promises to do. And our trouble is, we won't believe in God. And we'd rather live lives of fretful anxiety than know the blessing of peace that God alone can give. This is a wonderful change because the verse begins with carefulness and has prayerfulness in the middle and ends with this beautiful blessing of the peace of God. It is beyond their understanding. That's the magnitude of the blessing. You see, sometimes our lives are so full of turmoil and conflict and unrest that we can never possibly understand what it means for God to have peace. We don't, we don't get this tranquility things. We are like the Atlantic Ocean in the middle of a storm and our lives are up and down like the waves. But God knows that perfect peace of a lake in the middle of a, of a, of a summer's day. It is beyond our understanding at times. The function of it is to guard our hearts and our minds. Anxiety is a very dangerous thing. The word to keep here is a word that the Philippian Christians would have known very well. It's used to the Roman garrison that was used to guard the city. God is promising to give us his peace like a garrison around our hearts because anxiety will damage our hearts and our souls. And will keep our minds from thinking upon those things which are true and honest and just and pure, etc. And so when anxiety comes, we are under attack. But God is pleased to present to us the army of his peace to guard our souls and our minds. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.